This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. It is Tuesday, that means this is my solo episode, and I really didn't know what to talk about this week. I had no major, you know, epiphanies. Nobody was rude to me on TikTok that, like, inspired some kind of rant. So on my Instagram stories, I asked you guys to send me questions that you would want me to answer this week. So that's what I'm going to do. First, I just wanted to talk about a couple things that I have going on. So today is September 1st, which means this is the first day of the Mom Room community. What is the Mom Room community, you might ask? Well, I created a Mom Room community on Patreon. I like to call it a mom gang, but anyways... My favorite part of what I do with the mom room stuff, whether it be Instagram, TikTok, you know, emailing, my blog, um, is connecting with other moms and hearing their stories um, and sharing our experiences. My Instagram is overwhelming in that I receive a ton of direct messages and it's really hard for me to maintain kind of like a community feeling with other moms. I always knew that I wanted to make a smaller community of moms that could, you know, connect on a deeper level, but I didn't know how to do that. Once I looked into Patreon and saw how it worked, I thought this is perfect and instantly started creating my community. If you're a member of the Mom Room community, you have access to bonus podcast episodes. So I'm going to do some solo episodes, but also I just want to have episodes where I'm chatting with other community members. So it'll just be like casual mom chats. We are also going to have bi-weekly live chats. And to start, we're going to do this on Instagram live. Um, I'm also going to look into a platform that will allow us all to see each other and talk. Members will also have access to a private mom room community Instagram account. Uh, And this is obviously where we're going to run the live chats and I'm going to post and we can have discussions. And obviously it's going to be a lot easier for me to answer DMs on the private account. And I'm hoping that the members will follow each other as well and, you know, have discussions and just be a supportive community. It's pretty obvious that the moms that follow me and are into my content are freaking awesome and I'm really looking forward to getting this started. If this sounds like something you would be interested in, check it out at patreon.com slash the mom room. There's no dots in the mom room and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also click the link in my TikTok profile or my Instagram profile. Okay, before I get into questions, I just wanted to tell this little story that happened last night. So my husband and I were downstairs watching TV. Milo was sleeping. I was doing my pelvic floor exercises and I started telling my husband about a podcast that I had listened to yesterday and the girl that they were interviewing is on Lexapro, which is a similar kind of drug as what I take every day, which is citalopram for anxiety. 
And she was mentioning that the week before her period, she takes 10 milligrams more to kind of help with her moodiness or irritability the week before she gets her period. So I mentioned that to my husband and he was like, yeah, you should talk to our doctor about that. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a really good idea. Like I should probably do the same because I hate that week before my period and it might not last the whole week, but there's definitely a few days where I'm so irritable and I hate that feeling. Instead of being calm when, you know, stressful situations are happening, I get all worked up inside and I hate it. You know those days where annoying things keep happening over and over, like you stub your toe, you hit your elbow as you're blow drying your hair, like you drop your purse and everything falls out. It's like instead of just moving on with my day, like those things will drive me nuts and I get frustrated and then god forbid Milo has a tantrum and the dogs are barking. I just hate the way I feel internally. It's like super irritable and frustrated and I'm way more susceptible to losing my temper which I also hate. So we were talking about that and then I said, you know, when I was on the birth control pill, I never had the irritability, obviously, or the frustration the week before my period because it regulates your hormones. I also never had ovulation pain, which when that happens, it's like 12 hours of insane cramping. I use the heating pad, I take naproxen, I take Tylenol. Um, And I can manage the pain that way, but obviously it's super annoying. If I have something to do the day that I happen to ovulate, like the day is ruined for sure. And on the pill, I had light periods, no cramping. Um, Obviously, you know exactly when you're going to get your period, which is nice. So I explained all this to him and I was like, I don't know though if I should go back on birth control. I know there's conflicting opinions about this. But, you know, initially I started taking birth control when I was 16 years old and I've been off of it now for, I don't know, probably close to five years. And to think that I'm going to spend like almost my whole life on birth control that's, you know, affecting my hormones is just a weird thing to think. And I guess I often think birth control is for, you know, before you start your family Uh, I don't know. I just have this weird feeling about going back on it. And I remember when I stopped breastfeeding that I tried to go back on it. And whatever kind they gave me made me spot all the time, which I hate. Like I would rather just have a full period, get it over with, and then have nothing for the rest of the month. So anyways, this is the discussion that we were having. And then after explaining that to him about the birth control pill... He was like, well, why don't you get an IUD then or look into getting an IUD? And I was like, no, I've heard horror stories about IUDs and it's just not something that I want to do. I don't want to think that there's something permanent or not permanent, but for, you know, a few years sitting in my uterus and the thought of getting it put in there like, oh my God, I can't even. So my husband goes, well, I guess I'll get a vasectomy then. And I was like, excuse me? You getting a vasectomy does not address any of these issues that we were just talking about. Like, you getting a vasectomy 
does not cure my ovulation pain, does not cure, you know, a heavy crampy period, does not cure my irritability the week before my period, but thank you for your input. Oh my God, it was so funny because clearly, you know, you talk about birth control and it's like to prevent having a baby, but that's not even why this conversation was going on. So I thought it was so funny, but anyways, we both laughed. So I thought I would share that with you all. And it just goes to show some people are on birth control, not to prevent having a baby. I mean, but obviously you're not going to go on it if you want to have a baby, but there are other benefits to being on birth control. um, And that's very obvious. Whether or not it's good in the long term is still up for debate, I think. But I would love to have someone who is more knowledgeable in this area um, of birth control to be on the podcast. So if you are someone or know of someone, then yeah, send me an email. My mom is actually coming to visit today. So today is Friday when I'm recording this and... She should be here probably around 2.30. It's noon right now. And last night when she confirmed that she was coming, I, because I know that my husband is going to be super busy this weekend. He's on call. I felt a sense of relief. Like, oh, someone's going to be here to help me with like dinner times and bath time uh, if my husband happens to not be home. And then I always feel bad when I have those feelings because I think... Like, Renee, you're his mom. Like, you can't take care of your own child. Some women or even men are single parents. They have multiple children and they do everything on their own. Like, you know, you feel a sense of relief because your mom is coming for a couple days. And I think it's also because I've had a difficult couple evenings with Milo. My husband wasn't here and... One of the evenings he didn't have a bath because he threw a raging temper tantrum. And of course, these same two evenings that I was home alone and doing everything on my own, it was the week before my period and I was super irritable and, you know, had a short fuse. Of course, it worked out that way. So I told my husband that I felt that way and then I explained to him that I feel stupid for feeling that way because why do you feel a sense of relief that someone's going to be here to help you you're his mom. Such a weird thing to think about. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. 
Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. But really, when you strip it down, who wouldn't be happy to have help doing something that's difficult? Like, yes, the last few nights where I was on my own with Milo and he was throwing tantrums were difficult. And that's just the truth. So I find when I acknowledge that and I let myself be honest about it being difficult, then it makes sense that you're happy when someone says they're coming to visit and that person is helpful and you know that you're not going to be alone. Yes, I can do everything alone. I am fully capable of that. But is it easier when someone else is here to, you know, put peanut butter on a rice cake while Milo's trying to get out of his high chair and wants, you know, nothing to do with the pasta that I made him? Yes, it's much easier. And I mean, this is looking at it just from someone being here to help and not even it's my mom and it's Milo's grandma and he gets really excited to see her and it's nice to watch them bond, I guess you would say. So I'm not even talking about that stuff because obviously it's a bonus and it's happy times when she comes to visit. I'm just looking at it from a perspective of why do I feel like a sense of relief when I know another adult is coming to stay with us and I'm going to have some help if my husband is really busy. And at first, I didn't even want to talk about this topic. I think I was going to talk about it on my Instagram stories But then just after explaining the whole uh, irritability before my period thing and acknowledging that this week, there was a couple evenings this past week where my husband wasn't home and it was really difficult, 
Then last night having, you know, this weird feeling of relief knowing that my mom was going to be here this weekend and my husband's probably going to be really busy and then feeling bad for feeling relief. It was such a weird range of emotions and it was like all over the place. And I tried to explain it to my husband and he understood what I was saying, um, but even trying to explain it to him, it was hard to explain and it's hard to explain even now in this podcast. The easiest way to put it is I felt bad for feeling relief that someone was going to be here to help me with Milo when I'm his mom. Obviously, I can take care of him myself and he's really not that bad of a kid. The odd tantrum here and there, but you know, it's manageable. And then thinking, holy shit, some people are single parents and they have multiple children and you feel relief because you're going to get help with one. But then it's like, of course, getting help with anything is going to give someone a sense of relief. So why this particular situation do I feel shitty about myself for feeling relief if I'm going to be getting help? And it has to be some weird fucking mom related thing like tied to mom guilt or I like to use the term mom poster syndrome. Like it's got to be tied into that. So maybe once I work through this uh, range of emotions, I will get back to everyone with what I think is going on. And if you can relate to that feeling and you think you understand what's going on, please message me, email me. I would love to hear your thoughts. I already know that I have to go back and listen to this podcast before I publish it because I don't even know if I made sense. But moving on to questions. The first question I'm going to address was about screen time and they asked if I was going to do a podcast episode specifically for screen time. And I would love to do this with an expert in the area, but when I think about it, I'm like, what is an expert in screen time? We can all look at what the medical um, associations or organizations say with regard to limits and things like that. We can all look up research and interpret it ourselves. So to answer the question for this podcast, I will just briefly go over my thoughts on screen time and how we address it in our family. Ideally, in the near future, I'll have a full episode just dedicated to screen time and what the research says and breaking everything down and maybe even having a co-host do it with me so that it's not just my opinion. I would like to hear what someone else thinks as well. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on screen time or read about it, I should say, my blog has uh, a post on it called Lions and Tigers and Screens, Oh My, Are TVs, Tablets, and Cell Phones Really So Bad? And I kind of go into the research in that blog post and also how we do screens in our family. It's a little bit older. I wrote that when Milo was quite young, uh, but I would say our attitudes towards screen time are the same. Now, before Milo even came into the picture, I have always been the kind of person that has the TV on in the background. So obviously that didn't change once we brought Milo home. And then as he started to get a little bit older, he was noticing the TV 
and we would put on like Paw Patrol or something that we thought kids would like. And he did like he would watch it and he was interested in it. So then I started to feel bad that he was watching TV sometimes. And so I did my own research on screen time. And then that led to me writing the blog. And even though before having Milo, I didn't really think much about screens or screen time and kids. But then once I had him, it became very clear to me that, you know, people are so against screens. And there's this thought that, you know, if your child watches screens for any amount of time, they're going to be depressed and they're going to be obese and they're going to have all these things wrong with them. And in my mind, I was like, really? Like, how can him seeing a screen with cartoon dogs affect him so badly? And of course, if we were out at a restaurant uh, and Milo was getting really fussy and we just wanted to enjoy our meal and have a freaking beer, we would pull out the iPad or put Paw Patrol on on the phone to calm him down. And I know people hate that and it's not something that we do regularly but once in a while yeah if we can have a meal at a restaurant and not have to leave we will put on Paw Patrol on one of our cell phones and we will enjoy our meal and go home like a happy family. And I'm not saying that I recommend using screens as a way to to stop a behavior from happening. But sometimes we would do that, you know, certain situations warrant that for us. And of course, you get stares from other people like, oh my God, their baby is looking at a screen. Like awful parents, awful. And I hated that. And I was like, really? Like how are screens that bad? So I did my own research, wrote the blog. When I looked into the research, the findings basically said exactly what I had initially thought. It's not the screens that are hurting the children or causing these negative things. It's the lack of other positive activities like socializing with peers, interacting with their parents, playing with toys, being physically active, reading books, all that stuff. So yes, if your child is just sitting in front of a screen for hours on end throughout the day and they're not getting those other beneficial things, then yeah, there's going to be a problem. But we can't think that it's screens that are causing this. It's almost like a cop-out. It's like, you know, we're not spending time making sure our children have all these other beneficial things. So, but instead of acknowledging that point and, you know, encouraging parents to do these more positive activities with their children, we just say screens are the problem. And it's like, no, why don't you spend time promoting and saying how beneficial these other activities are instead of just saying screens are the problem and they're going to ruin your children? Like, no, why don't you tell parents what they should be doing instead of just don't use a screen and your child will be fine? That's not true. As I pointed out in a TikTok, because I have my best thoughts in my TikToks, obviously, Someone can have a child that has zero screen time and they can still have all the problems of another child that has, you know, five hours of screen time a day because they're lacking in all those beneficial things as well. Maybe they're not staring at a screen, but they're not also not getting physical activity. They're not socializing with peers. Their parents hardly ever engage with them or interact. That's going to be just as detrimental to the child Another thing that drove me nuts about the recommendations for screen time for kids was like, 
oh, one hour a day maximum, but it should be something that's high quality educational TV. And first of all, there's no research that is able to determine what the recommendation for time with a screen should be. None of the research supports any kind of guideline like that at all. So I don't know where they make up these guidelines. But anyways, another thing that bothers me is why does it have to be high quality educational TV all the time? Like why? I sure as hell don't watch high quality educational TV. Uh, Real Housewives, Below Deck, Vanderpump Rules. Like people would probably argue that those are not educational. What is wrong with putting on a TV show or a movie that is just simply for entertainment and for relaxing? What is the problem with that? Like we want our children to go to school all day or daycare or nursery school, preschool, whatever it is, interact with kids all day, do crafts, do activities, be learning, and then come home and we can't put on a show and just relax and snuggle up and watch. Like we have to be, what, counting with Elmo? Why? Why can't we teach our children that it's okay to, you know, lay back every once in a while and watch a TV show for entertainment or a movie? Okay, I'm taking really long time to answer this question, but basically I just wanted to point out that all the research on screens and children is correlational. So what that means is after collecting a bunch of data, like the screen time a child has in a day, their socioeconomic status, amount of parental interaction, the you know mother or parent uh, mental health, involvement in extracurricular activities, household income, time spent being physically active, cognitive or physical development, all that stuff. So they collect all this data from a bunch of families uh, and then they're looking at which variables are related to one another. So they'll find, you know, screen time has a negative relationship uh, with being physically active. So the more screen time a child has, the less time they spend being physically active. And so people like to focus on findings like that. Uh, So for example, obesity or academic performance. But what happens with most of these research um, studies is that once you control for all the other variables, so all the other things that could be contributing to the negative outcomes, like household income, interactions with parents, bullying, parents' mental health, like, you know, parent-child relationship, the effects of screen time are almost non-existent. So that means it's not the screens that are causing the negative outcomes. There are many factors that are contributing to these things. So I'm not sure why people want to focus solely on screens. Like, it's not the fucking screens. Like, why don't we spend time worrying about things that matter, like the quality of our interactions with our child? The issue happens when screen time is replacing all the other positive activities, but you can do both. And let's be honest, screens are not going anywhere. Like, this is the world that we live in. So I think it's a little bit irresponsible almost to think that our children are just not going to look at screens at all. Um... This is our life now. We live on screens. So why don't we teach them instead to use them appropriately and have a balanced life when it comes to screens and other positive activities? That was supposed to be a short answer, but I went off on a rampage. Um, If you're interested in screens and you want more information, definitely check out my blog uh, that I wrote about that. You can find it at renearena.com. 
My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Okay, let's answer a few more questions and then I'm going to wrap it up for this episode. This is a quick one, but somebody asked how my husband and I met and I get that question a lot. And I think I explained it in the Welcome to the Mom Room trailer episode uh, in great detail. So if you're curious, go listen there. Um, But we did meet online on Plenty of Fish. So there's that. Someone asks if we follow any sort of meal plan or do we just figure out dinner each day? My number one question that I hate is what do you want for dinner? Like, I hate that. I hate deciding what to have for dinner. I hate making dinner. I hate anything to do with dinner, but I will eat it. That's about it. We started doing the good food meal subscription boxes and so far we love it. We get three meals a week from them and it kind of relieves the pressure of, you know, what are we going to have for dinner? Because we know we have three meals set up. We also do takeout a lot, which is like, I don't really recommend that, but we do. It works for us. Um, sometimes on Sundays, I'll plan a couple meals out, usually like a crock pot dinner or something easy like tacos. And we'll make sure that we have all the ingredients for those meals. Um, but yeah, we really don't plan stuff out, but the meal subscription box really helps for us. This isn't a question, but somebody says they love Milo's hair. And I I totally agree. His hair is awesome. And I always get asked what we do with his hair. And I literally just spray it with detangler after his baths. And I brush it out. And then we blow dry it. And he sleeps on it. And then the next day, it's usually wild. So before daycare, I've been spraying it with a little water bottle and brushing it out and putting it in a little man bun. I love it. It's so cute. Okay, there's some other questions that I got that I think could be, you know, I could go into a lot. So I'm not going to address them, but I'm going to write them down so that I don't forget. But things like sex life after having a baby, 
someone wrote to me saying that they are going to be a nurse and they asked what they can do to support postpartum moms. I love that question. That would be a great episode topic. Someone asked about body image issues postpartum. Uh, Again, that is like a full episode topic and it would tie in nicely to an episode that kind of touches on eating disorders or disordered eating uh, around, you know, pregnancy and becoming a mom. And then in the postpartum, um, I'm definitely looking for a professional in the area to talk about specifically those issues, but specifically for moms. Somebody asked when I started my podcast and I released the first episode on Canada Day, July 1st. Somebody asked about postpartum depression and if I was going to do an episode on that and 100% I am going to do an episode on both postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Somebody asked about the stigma around female age and having babies, kind of like, you know, the clock is ticking. Um, I would love to do an episode on that for sure, ideally with someone who specializes in fertility. Somebody asked about being in an interracial marriage. And to be honest, I never really thought much about it. And I know that that is because I never really had to think about it because I never dealt with racial issues growing up, obviously because I'm white. And my husband and I never really had any negative experiences that I know of. I mean, I could ask him and see what his perspective is on this. But we did have one bad experience uh, in Mexico when we were on vacation. And I don't remember the exact conversation that um, we had with this man, but I'm going to ask my husband and then maybe I'll talk about it on my Instagram stories just so you can understand the entire conversation. He was American. He was from, I think, Texas. And at some point in the conversation, he looked at my husband because I think he was surprised that we were married or something. And then... He said, oh, but you guys are Canadian and I heard in Canada it's really diverse there or something along those lines. And I was like, yep, it is like, yep. And at that time we were living in Ottawa and I was like, yeah, we're in Canada's capital and it's super diverse and, you know, people are in interracial marriages. And at one point in the conversation, he looked at my husband and he was like, well, no offense, but you're black. I almost fell off my chair And I immediately wanted to punch him in the throat. If this is something that he says to just random people at a resort in Mexico who are having drinks at the bar, like, how is he in his everyday life? This was crazy to me. But I think that was my first experience of, you know, wow, not everyone accepts that my husband and I are together. And it was eye-opening. And then even with my son, like, yes, my son is biracial, but to me, and again, this is like my white privilege of not having to deal with racial things, I think nothing of it, or I should say I thought nothing of it. Um, And one day I remember someone messaging me on Instagram, and this was when the racial um, movement started to really pick up and the the death of George Floyd had just happened. And someone messaged me saying, actually, it wasn't someone. It was my good friend, Alexandra. And she is also in um, an interracial marriage. And she messaged me on Instagram saying, oh, how are you feeling with all this stuff going on with Milo being biracial? And that message really slapped me in the face and it kind of 
pushed me to look into racial issues more in Canada, especially, which I find is difficult because a lot of the information that we see online or we listen to in podcasts or see on TV is very much from an American perspective. And it's, you know, Canada is not immune from racial issues like this is obvious. So it really pushed me to learn more about what's going on in Canada, to start to talk about race with Milo as soon as possible, talk to my husband about race. I've had conversations with my mother-in-law. They, My husband's family is from South Africa, so they know very well what it feels like to be discriminated against uh, because of the color of your skin. She actually wrote one of my blog posts a while back and told her story about what it was like living in South Africa and then how they made the move to Canada and why they made that move. Again, I'm going off on a tangent. I don't know, maybe I just really want to talk today, but so yes, I am in an interracial marriage. I maybe didn't know what that meant until just recently and I didn't even consider it as something that would be looked at differently from other people. And especially when it comes to my son, I had no thoughts about, you know, my son is biracial. What does this mean in the current racial climate? So yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to learn as much as possible and I'm trying to talk more about race, racial problems, especially on my platforms and in my everyday life with family and friends. But as for my own personal experience as being in an interracial marriage and having a biracial son, I have not had many interactions that have been uncomfortable or felt like we were being um, discriminated against. But that's, again, coming from me, a white woman. And I'm curious to ask my husband and see if he has a different perspective. So maybe I'll share that on Instagram. Okay, I was a blabbermouth this episode. I'm sorry I got sidetracked on some good questions. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thursday's episode is going to be with Dr. Ali Kane and it's all about C-sections and C-section recovery. It is a freaking amazing episode so tune in for that. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at the.mom.room. My blog is renearena.com. If you want to be a part of my mom community, I like to call it a mom gang, but some people frown upon that, go to patreon.com slash the mom room. You can sign up anytime. So again, it is patreon.com slash the mom room. Thank you for listening and I hope your children sleep tonight. Let's do-